be with you. I can say aloha. We didn't aloha, but we aloha. We uh, I don't. Some of you have not heard. We didn't get to go, um, and the reason for that was uh, uh, a test and. Uh, our oldest had what turned out to be a false positive for COVID. And so five days later, he tested again, got the negative, and we're more than two weeks since he was, you know, and everything, no symptoms, praise God. And so we had a stay vacation. And, uh, you know, and it was nice. And uh, so <laughs> some of us think it was nicer than others. So, uh, and, 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 and Kauai will still be there and we'll get to go someday. But uh, um, truly, uh, and I do believe what I say, it's going to be okay. It is okay. And we do know that God uses all things uh, for good. And it's hard to see it sometimes, um, but he does. He truly does. So I am glad to be back, and I believe I left you in good hands, and I've talked to George a couple of times since then, and thank you for uh, loving him and Suzanne and uh, being so kind, and he uh, was thrilled to be here and proclaiming Christ to you. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, Heavy on our hearts right now are those that are suffering, and we are no different than anyone else. Um, We have members that are struggling with various uh, issues and health issues and so forth, and I would like for us to uh, be meditating on and praying for specifically for Ashley um, today. She is not feeling good, so um, continue to, uh, to pray for her and for her healing. And then I understand that Randy uh, wants to tell a couple of jokes. So, and and, uh, you know, Lord. <laughs> okay, Randy. So, <clears throat> since I'm up here, I'm going to go ahead and do the announcements. Like I'm saying, you know, you can read this during this sermon, keep you awake. <laughs> uh, I guess I did tell a joke. Huh? Why are you laughing? So, like I said last week, this, this month's mission is for uh, um, the Sheepford. That's what it says, the Sheepford. And it's for Alzheimer's patients. So the, the glass is in the back if you want to give to that. Uh, the men's Bible study on Saturday at 8 o'clock. It's fun. I actually do tell jokes in that every once in a while. So... But Sit and Be Fit is, uh, is still on for Tuesday afternoon. I think they've been averaging anywhere from 9 to 11 women going there. So, and with that, the reason I'm up here. Uh, Pastor, before you went on vacation, we had planned a surprise birthday party for you. <laughs> Surprise! Uh, with, yeah, with bands, and and then you t- you tell us you're going to Hawaii, and so some of them understood that we would have to cancel our party for you, <laughs> and so and then there's other people that was a little upset that you cheated us out of a party, so we said, well, 
those of you who aren't totally upset that we were robbed of a party just to give cards. So <laughs> we have a few cards here for you. Oh, you can you. open them up on your time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you come up here, I'll, I'll give you the cards. So, Cut the mic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, everybody. You know, it's two weeks doesn't seem like very long, but um, I have to be honest to you. I'm a little bit, as they say, a scared because I'm worried that I forgot how to do this. So if you're able, well, actually, no, we go to the opening hymn. This ought to be fun. come together this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open and all desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sins to God our Father, most merciful God. We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his Son to die for you, and for his sake he forgives you all of your sins. And as your called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia. Worthy is Christ, the Lamb who was slain whose blood set us free to be people of God. 
power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and blessing and glory are his. This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia. Sing with all the people of God and join in the hymn of all creation. Blessing and honor and glory and might be to God and the Lamb forever. Amen. This is the feast of victory for our God, for the Lamb who was slain has begun his reign. Alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, defend your church from all false teaching and error, that your faithful people may confess you to be the only true God and rejoice in your good gifts of life and salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Lord be with you. Let's start this morning by our first reading. If we take a look at uh, the book of Isaiah in chapter 29, where we, I'll be reading verses 11 through 19, which you can follow if you would like to on page 1102 in the Pew Bible. Isaiah 29, 11 through 19. The beginning of this reading talks about the hardness of the hearts that's been going, going on with the people. And then later on, it talks about the warning of impending judgment when he says these people, he doesn't say my people. You'll, you'll catch on to that one. Let's begin. Isaiah 29, 11. For you, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. And if you give the scroll to someone who can read and say, read this please, they will answer, I can't, it is sealed. Or if you give the scroll to someone who cannot read and say, read this please, they will answer, I don't know how to read. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Therefore, once more, 
I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shell, what is formed to say to one who formed it? You did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? In a very short time, will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field? And then the fertile field seem like a forest? In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. In your bulletin now, we'll go to Psalm 14, and we read responsibly there. It's a testimony concerning the folly of an evil man are evil men. Let's take a look at Psalm 14. I'll begin. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. <laughs> there is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people, though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread. For God is present in the company of the righteous. The evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Next reading takes us to Ephesians. This is a hard one to read because it talks about the wife submitting to the husband. But I'm going to read it anyway. So let's take a look at Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 33. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, 
so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, very important. Love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the eternal word of the Lord. Hallelujah, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark from the seventh chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Our gospel this morning is Mark 7, verses 1 through 13, and can be found on page 1563 of your pew Bible. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is to say, they were unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right 
when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands, the commands of God, in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that, that, that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is to say that which is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and their mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. I, I have to admit something to you right now. That is, whenever I encounter the Pharisees and the scribes, like in today's gospel, I have a triggered default response. That is, I stereotype these people. In my mind's eye, I see the Pharisees as these old, stubborn, pompous jerks. In my imagination, I see them as posers whose main goal in life was to make themselves look good and everybody else look bad. I stand convicted of this right here and right now, of stereotyping these people, judging these people. Now, it is proper for us to examine the image that we have of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it is proper for me to give us a little clearer picture about who we are really dealing with in passages like today's gospel, okay? Okay. First of all, it is good to remember that not all, not all of the Pharisees were enemies of Jesus. We have the gospel record of Joseph of Arimathea who claimed Jesus' body after the crucifixion. 
and he placed it in his own tomb. Then we have, uh, well, Joseph was a minority member. He was a minority member of the ruling class, the ruling council. And the truth is, in Scripture we read that he tried to stop Jesus. He tried to stop the crucifixion. And then there was Nicodemus, Nick at night, right? who helped Jesus prepare, or rather Joseph prepare, Jesus' body for burial. In addition to that, there are accounts outside of the Bible of Pharisees and others. Josephus is one of them, who saw how Jesus fulfilled the prophets, and they believed Jesus to be the promised Messiah. The truth is, I expect to see many of these Pharisees in heaven. Now, on to the scribes. The scribes were people who wrote things. There were no word processors. There were no printing presses, no photocopy machines in the first century. So if you wanted to duplicate something, you had to do it by hand. Made me think, what do you do if your writing is not legible? Or you simply don't want to copy stuff? The answer was you hired. You hired a scribe to do the copying for you. So if you were writing a letter to somebody, you might have a scribe take down the letter at your dictation. And temple scribes, they spent their days making copies of the Holy Scriptures. And you can imagine that you would get to know the Scriptures pretty well if you spent all day, day after day, copying it from one scroll to another. Do you remember when we used to be taught or we used to teach by rote, right? Um, <laughs> did any of you ever have to write on a chalkboard after class? Don't raise your hand. Actually, I'd like to know. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Jeff, no surprise. Uh, I know a man. They got to write on a chalkboard. He had to write this. I will not put Catherine's ponytail in my typewriter ever again. That, is, that was in Raymondville, Texas, around 1959. And that boy was my father-in-law, John W. McCraw, who isn't here to defend himself. But I heard that story, as did my wife and all of our grandchildren, many, many times. And he never forgot that story. Probably because it's a good story, but he had to write on the chalkboard. So, not all of the Pharisees and the scribes were enemies of Jesus, okay? The problem is that the hypocrites among the scribes and the Pharisees had gained control. The hypocrites set the agenda for them as a group. 
And it was the hypocrites who set out to discredit and eventually kill Jesus. You see, the hypocritical Pharisees did not study the scriptures in order to learn God's teaching. No, instead, they studied the scriptures in order to find loopholes. They had developed over 600 some odd laws as they debated the scriptures. And at first glance, you would think that keeping track of 600 some laws would be even a greater task than just keeping the Ten Commandments. But it's not the case. These 600 some odd laws actually softened God's law. While God's law makes it clear that we cannot keep it, these laws that the hypocritical Pharisees had developed, well, the ones that they developed were actually doable. It was quite a task to learn all of those laws, but once you did, you could actually do them. And this paved the way for the idea that salvation was a result of God's mercy plus man's obedience. Now, because they taught that human works contribute to salvation, the hypocritical Pharisees had to make the law more user-friendly. Ceremonial washing of your hands. The hypocritical Pharisees diluted the law's requirement of perfect uh, obedience with manageable human rules that could be kept. Now, a compromised law means a compromised gospel. And Jesus condemned these Pharisees because they abandoned God's word for the word of man. In a sense... In a very real sense, these Pharisees were really the liberal progressives of their time. Jesus condemned these Pharisees for their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness. And as we heard in the gospel, he cited an example of their hypocrisy. He said this to them in Mark 7, 10 through 13. He said, boy, you have a fine way of reflecting the commandment of God in order to establish your, your tradition. For Moses said this, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is given to God, then you you Pharisees, no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. It's here that Jesus tells these Pharisees that they had played so many word games with the Holy Scriptures, that they had actually developed a tradition, a tradition that allowed them to break the clear word of God 
and yet declare that they had kept God's law. Okay, well, how about now? Do we still deal with this same sort of thinking today? You betcha. Don't you know? We do. Some things never change. Let's consider the command that we have in today's epistle. Question for you, quick. Do we find law in the Old Testament or do we find law in the New Testament? Both, right? Both. That is kind of a trick question, and I could see people going, oh, don't look at me. But if you're thinking both, it's right. Because right here in this New Testament passage, we hear, uh, in the epistle, we hear law. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For those who are in worship here this morning and for all who are watching online, let me look at you here online. Guys, how are you doing with that law? Is it working out for you? Are you sacrificing your lives so that your wife can become the best that she can be? Are you? I'm not. I can't. I can try, but I won't succeed. The law tells me and it tells you no one can live up to the example that Christ gives to us in this or any other area. Period. Full stop. Okay, back on point. How do we in this day and age do the same thing that the Pharisees did back then? What are some examples? Well, let's consider the huge market in self-help books for marriages. Now, I'll bet you you know some of these titles. Some titles include this. Men are from Mars and women are from... You all have read it. The other ones are seven vital relationship insights, seven principles for making marriage work, five love languages. And then there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of other books in the self-help category. Do these books have useful information for us? Well, sure. Many of them do. But when we begin to think that following the advice in these books makes it possible for us to actually keep the command that we have in today's epistle, we are following the exact same fleshly footsteps of the Pharisees from today's gospel. In fact, what we are doing is we are teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. As sinful human beings, we tend to see God's law as 
guidelines for living. We tend to see God's law as what we must do, what we must do in order to get God to like us. And when we see that no one can keep the law, we want to water it down. We want to soften it up. We want to shave off those rough edges so that we can keep it. That is exactly what the hypocritical Pharisees did at the time of the gospel from today's reading. Does God's law, does it contain guidelines for living? Yeah, of course it does. But that is not Big not, that is not its primary function. Then what is the primary function of the law? Well, I'm glad you asked. The law's primary function is to show us our sin, to teach us that we are bad people. It grinds down the arrogant pride that believes that we can actually lead God-pleasing lives. Its function is to terrify us with the sure, the certain knowledge that our efforts have only succeeded in earning God's wrath. His eternal punishment is earned both here in this time and forever in eternity. If we read God's law, if you read God's law and you feel absolutely miserable, good. That means that the law is doing its job. So why does God give us the law? If it makes us feel so miserable, is God some kind of sicko who enjoys seeing people suffer? No, not at all. Instead, God uses the misery of the law to open up the gospel for us. The law, by showing us how sinful we are, shows us our need for a savior. It knocks down our natural resistance to the good news of Jesus Christ. It totally obliterates any thought on our part that we somehow cooperate with God in order to save ourselves from sin. The law puts us to death in order that we might be brought to life by the gospel. The gospel. The gospel that brings us to life is this. Are you listening? Because I laid some heavy, heavy law on you just now. This, is, this comes the good stuff, all right? Are you listening? In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 
through 4, it says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to many people after his resurrection. Now, those who believe that Christ's suffering and death on the cross, that it forgives them of their sins, and that his resurrection from the dead opened up the way for eternal life for them, these people, these people have this new life. Those who follow in the footsteps of the hypocritical Pharisees by trying to earn all or part of their salvation, they reject God's gospel. They remain, they remain dead in their trespasses and sins. It is our sinful pride. It is our flesh that has such a desire to earn its way into heaven. This world is full of plans that deceive us into believing that we can actually pull it off. And these plans are all clever lies that the devil will use to drag us down to destruction. The only way to salvation is Jesus Christ. His perfect life. His perfect sacrifice. The only way to receive this perfect salvation is through the Holy Spirit's gift of faith. The only way that the law can help us is when the Holy Spirit uses it to show our total inability to save ourselves. It is then that the Holy Spirit can use the gospel to show us that our salvation is in no other than Christ Jesus. It is Jesus Christ alone who can give us eternal life. And that is why we proclaim Christ and him crucified in this church. In the name of Jesus, amen. Oh,
Will you please stand if you're able? Let us now confess together our faith to the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us uh, pray for the whole church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are known, grant us a true faith that we would honor you not only with our lips, but serve you faithfully with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Lord, in your mercy, gracious Lord, give joy and hope to all your children in remembrance of their baptism, that they may rejoice in the forgiveness of sins that Christ freely pours out in his saving flood. Lord, in your mercy, Heavenly Father, preserve us from rejecting your commandments for the doctrines of men. By your Spirit's aid, lead all Christians to keep your commandments in thought, word, and deed, honoring you in all that we do. Lord, in your mercy, preserve, O oh Lord, your estate of marriage. Grant that wives would submit to their husbands and that husbands would love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Lord, in your mercy, gracious Father, bless children of all ages so that they would not despise or anger their father or mother but always honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of life, guide and lead those facing difficult life and death decisions to make God-pleasing decisions, affirming that life is a precious gift from you. Lord, in your mercy. 
And here are our prayers for our nation and its leaders, for all civil servants, and for those who, whose work imperils them for the sake of their neighbor. Lord, in your mercy, Lord of life, encourage with your word and grace all who suffer physically, emotionally, and spiritually on account of illness, including Ashley and Carol. Bless all medical professionals with the skills necessary to give relief and to care to their pain where possible. Lord, in your mercy, Lord, strengthen the faith and sustain to life everlasting all who partake in the fellowship of this altar and receive Christ's body and blood this day in the Holy Communion. Lord, in your mercy, it is into your hands, O Lord, that we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of the Lord be with you all. Let us share the peace. Okay, well, let's... Uh... <laughs> Enough of that being nice to each other, okay? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to have communion? Okay. <laughs> There's plenty of seats at God's table. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's so good to be back. Will you pray with me? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made for the sake of him who gave himself for us. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right and salutary that we should at all times and in all places offer thanks and praise to you, O oh Lord, Holy Father, through Christ our Lord, who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection he opened to us the way of everlasting life. And so, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn, Holy, holy, holy Lord, Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. 
Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks. And then he broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and he gave thanks, and then he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and drink, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For we know that as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, that we proclaim Christ's death, his resurrection, and his glorious coming again. Let us pray together the prayer that Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. His body, his blood, given, broken, shed for you and for me, for the forgiveness of sins. That is gospel that you get to taste, to touch, and to be saved by for those who believe. And I heard you confess it. So you may be seated and the ushers will bring you up for the most wonderful meal you ever could have. Changes someday for
law hurts when it is rightly understood, hopefully rightly given from the pulpit. The law hurts when the Holy Spirit helps it do its work on you. But the gospel saves. The gospel comforts. The gospel encourages. May you be encouraged today to know that it's been done for you. His perfect life, not yours or mine. His perfect sacrifice, not yours or mine. His work, not yours or mine. And now the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and grant you his perfect peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We go out with the closing hymn of Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance Jesus is mine what a foretaste of glory divine Heir of salvation, purchase of God Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood This is my story song, raising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior all the day long. Don't
sad rest I am my Savior Am happy and blessed Watching